You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Morning WA, this is the World Football Programme. My name is Sean Kelly and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Um, thank you to the Celtic Ramblings team for their show just before ours and in two hours Lenny will be here with all the jazz you can handle. So uh, it'll be an interesting uh, two hours because everything it could go wrong has gone wrong. I think Murphy's Law is optimistic. <laughs> so we're it's live radio, this is what happens. Um, so this morning's guests, we were going to have Alex Novatsis up, but he's in Indonesia, and for some reason, I just cannot get a call through to him, but we'll see what happens in the next two minutes. But helping me with my morning is my team of Dave Kindness, Football West Life member, former uh, Melville president, and all-round good guy. Morning, Dave. Good morning, good morning, all. Nice to see you. Likewise, and also joining us in the studio is Tony T.C. Campbell. Tony, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year as well. Yes, all of that stuff. Um, New Year, new season. And you're the state school boys coach and you're also involved with a school program. Yep, certainly am. Yes, it's all kicking off again this year. <laughs> had my <laughs> little bit of a break. It's always kicking off. So on the show, as I said, we had Alex Vats. I'm going to have another crack at the telephone very, very shortly and see what happens. Um, our second guest has also phoned up late and said unavailable. So that's going to be an interesting hole to fill. I've got a couple of texts out at the moment, hoping for something to come back. And then we're going to talk to Dave Winkless, who is involved in the PGSSC. He actually went over to the Sydney Unite round, so it'd be interesting to get a perspective of someone that actually went, because um, there wasn't many. Um, I know, look, and I believe that the um, the feedback was that even in Sydney, there wasn't much promotion of that week. So I think there's some, some things the APL have learnt from that. 
And then we're going to, at the end of it, um, catch up with TC and his trip to Singapore with his boys and probably talk a bit more um, football in general, um, test your football knowledge around the world, see if you know anything more than just Newcastle. Oh, I know a little bit here and there. Yeah. I've read some stuff about the glory today. Yeah, you know, yeah so. no, that, that's a very interesting chat, and we will have that one at some stage during the morning because a lot of people don't seem to grasp the, the actual facts and are blaming the glory and... You know, we we get all the usual delete club posts and, you know, shambles of a club. Well, you know, if that's how you feel, then don't involve yourself with them and don't bother commenting. You know, yeah, we've hit rock bottom. The only way is up, in my opinion. But let's see what happens. All right. Um, so in news around the world, I think the, the big one that happened <coughs> was obviously the passing of De Kaiser, Franz Beckenbauer. Mm. Dave, you would remember him at his peak yeah. I, I remember him as well as a manager. Uh, going yeah. To, to Cosby and getting beat for a two goal lead. Yeah, but I mean, a, a fantastic career as a, as a player and a coach. Um, you know, he's the only uh, one of three players to lift it as a player and a uh, a coach, which is itself a massive achievement. Absolutely, and a gentleman as well. Yeah. Look, uh, he's one. I mean. Yeah, Growing up in post-war England, um, you know, Germans weren't really something we talked about and never had German heroes, but he was one person that I think everyone in England respected. As Not a, too sure about Leeds fans, though, after the uh, European Cup, you know, yeah. so-called uh, Beckenbauer controlling the game and the referee and things like that. I've got a, a Leeds mate uh, who... Uh, yeah, you can't say Beckenbauer and his company. <laughs> no, but you know, some people hold grudges. But I think all around, you know, as you said, he was a gentleman, um, a scholar and a footballer. He's just, um, his passing was, was tragic. I did see a headline during the week that the male Matildas managed to top their group. <laughs> well, they beat Syria 1-0. Um, so, obviously, the, the Socceroos. But I thought it was interesting that the media jumped in on it and started calling them the male Matildas. I think that would make Penny very happy. Absolutely. Yeah, they looked a bit nervous. They looked a bit all sorts in the first half. And they looked a bit better, 4 4 2 in the second half. Yeah, and, and the game over India, um, again, it wasn't you know, convincing. When you think we, to, to win it, we're going to have to come up against the likes of Saudi Arabia, Japan, obviously. Um, you know, are we going to be competing in that atmosphere? <laughs> oh, it's just getting out the groups, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, look, there's no doubt they did extremely well. But, um, yeah, it's um, whether or not they can keep doing extremely well. Yeah, in the local leagues, um, a, a dramatic finish to the game yesterday between Victory and Wellington in Wellington. A last-minute penalty. I know. It's, uh, and they've lost it by one goal. And no, Drew. Yeah, seemed to maybe lose concentration. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they ended in a draw that game. And then Sydney beat um, Western United, was it? Or was it? No, they, no Jets, 4-0, which is pretty brutal. Yeah. Mm. Well, they're saying that it's, a quite a good, it's been quite a competitive league. It's just all the stuff off the field that's actually... Mm. It's not killing the league, but it's... it's. I mean, I'm starting to lose interest in the league, to be honest. It's, I just think with all the little bits and pieces that have gone on and the decisions that the APL have made and, and so forth and... It's but the, well, the actual look, football there, on the field there are, is there are a couple of things in that you know um, for years the APL have been um, 
advocating that they should be running the 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 A League and you know fo- the football Australia have said yeah well, all right you think it's that easy then have it you know be careful what you wish for now they're in control of it and um, they've got no one else to blame but themselves I think they wasted what thirty million dollars on a, an app um, yep. yeah a million dollars on a logo there's there's a lot of things that you know we look out and go. Phew. You know, I, I, I'm sure you could have found a 15-year-old 15, 15 spotty face kid in your tech class at school that could have <laughs> done the, the app for them for, probably had done it for, a, you know, a couple of bags of Tim Tams. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Look, there, there's obviously some, some mistakes have been made and everyone's paying the penalty. Um, I think also when you look at it with the glory situation, uh, everyone was wanting Sage out, Sage out, and it'd be so much better with Sage out. Not so much fun now, is it? No, I think it, it's, yeah, it's you're making the big call trying to get him out, but it's like you, you've got to have someone to replace him. There's no point, you know, just it's somewhat, you know, throwing the baby out of the bathwater. That's effectively what you're doing. It's, well, better the devil you know as well. Well, that's but, it. You know, to, to be fair, Sage, you pumped a lot of his, his um, kids' inheritance into the club, um, and you can't blame him for getting out. He probably should have got out after the final against Sydney uh, in sorry yeah against Sydney when we lost mm. that was probably the pinnacle and said all right look I've done my best got out on a high got rid of the club whilst it was on a high um and then it would have been a much better prospect to sell but I think also the, the APL have bungled the um the sale of glory that the, the first failed sale um obviously they didn't do their due diligence into where the money was coming from and it all fell in a big heap and now desperately trying to wrestle it back and yeah my projection is we won't get, we will not get an owner before the end of this season well it was interesting with that with that uh, news that came out was it yesterday or the day before the loan i mean I yeah we'll, understand we'll, it. we'll talk about <clears throat> the loan deals later on mm. but i think you know until we've got a, a new owner we can't enter into any business um loaning players um, in or getting players in and then we're also then stymied by the the transfer window so even if we get an owner announced today, it would probably be post that window closing that the the owner is actually in, in post and then the window's closed, so we're stuck with what we've got, um, which would be really interesting because I think there'd be a case to lobby for an exemption based on all of the stuff that's gone on. It's failing that, or I think what we should do at the next home game is that we all turn up with a pair of boots draped around our neck just in case. Just in case. Because, you know, Dave and I'd be up for a game. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I think from, from people are talking about boycotting games and I don't think like last year with the APL decision to have the, the grand final in Sydney for the next three years, um, people boycotted That's a good games. Decision. Their, their lack of presence wasn't really noticed. Um, mm. You know, the game still went on. They still got played. I think, you know, being there, even if you're facing in the wrong direction, um, is a big statement. But I think, you know, for, for our current situation, if everyone turned up with a pair of boots around their neck, in, including my missus who's in a wheelchair most games, um, you know, it would send a message. Because mm. we're all just saying, look, we'll play for them. But, you know, you, you'll never kill us. And I think that's part of what's going on, that there's a, a big conspiracy theory that the APL want us out because the last thing they want is a Western... Um, state side in the competition and go back to the national comp being an eastern based comp like they are with the second division yeah I'm not too sure if they I mean I think that you need a, a WA team you can't because it, it just it just it takes away from 
How can we come? How can we say we're a national sport and say we should have more funding and more support from the media if we if we don't even have a national? You know, the cricket, the basketball, the footy's all got full national yep. representation of all the states. You know. Yeah, yeah. I know. Look, and we have to. And there is talk of a Canberra side coming in, so we'll, we'll need to talk about that as well. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go to some uh, some ads, and then once we're after this break, we'll get talking again, hopefully with Alex Novatsis failing. That'll be someone else. So let's see how we go. Oh, don't relax. I want elbows and backs. I want to see everybody from behind. Oswest Fencing and Rotine is a fourth-generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Time. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Listening to Community Radio, powered by passionate football volunteers just like myself. You can appreciate the entertainment by becoming a station member. Hi, I'm Phil Kelly, Chair of the Football West Men's State League Standing Committee. Listen in next for Western Australian local football news. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Okay, we're back in the room and uh, just waiting for the caller to pick up the phone, but we'll be with them very shortly. Um, You were talking earlier there, TC, in the break about the junior NPL and the breakup of that that competition. I'm so hoping this is going to happen. I mean, it's it's supposed to be happening next year, and I think, you know... um, if uh, with Jamie Hanwell in charge, if he, if he makes this happen and, and sources this junior junior out, that'll be a big legacy for him to leave. I personally think this is you know we wanted um, football men in charge, and, and like I said, if this is coming from the top, I think yeah. this is the best thing Jamie could have done. I think I think getting rid of the NPL and making it uh, going back to how it sort of used to be, where yep. junior junior sport is for juniors. Not forget about the elite. It's not about. Um, junior sport isn't about the elite, and I think that's where we got it wrong with the MPL. Oh, the MPL is a, a damaged brand. We know that. Ah, oh, look, it's it's. I I, I I had impressions of what it was going to be when it first came in, and then it's where where it's where it's come to. Um, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's it's and it's like I said, it focuses on the the, the top five percent. And junior sport to me is about getting juniors to play. Yeah. Take the and when you then you've got the top players, take them out. But the, the junior the junior game should not be focused on creating elite players. It should be about people playing, kids playing, kids enjoying it, playing with their mates, being part of something. And then the better players, we take them out and we develop them, you know? And we, we give them that that different pathway. Yeah, but I think it's who... Is in charge of the development is a big thing. Mm. Yeah, yes, uh, yeah. You 
using one-teens and the tail end, but nothing, you know. Mm. So the, the strength was putting into the top end of the game and not... And it, it's, it's, it's backwards, completely back. It, it, it should be, this, this, you, you build from the base up. I mean, the one biggest thing is, is people often ask me sort of is, is how, you know, how you think the game's going, because obviously I'm, I'm very involved in the junior game. And I think, I do believe over the last 20 years, the, 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 there's more players playing and the grassroots level is, is stronger. You know, when I first played, like, if you, once you got past the first or second divisions, the standard was very, very, very poor. But now you can drop down a lot lower. Um, there's more players playing. But I don't think the elite has got any better. It, it hasn't got any better. If you look at some of the players that were produced in the 90s, early 2000s, we've, we've put so much money, or parents' money, into these elite, this elite pathway, apparently, we've got. And I don't think the elite level isn't any better. It isn't any bigger, and it isn't any better. You know, And it's, it's for the amount of money put into it. And I just think, just keep focusing on that bottom level and then have that separate pathway. Because we know with the NPL, it's not elite competition because there's not enough elite games. No. They get, what, four or five, and the rest aren't as strong. So if you want elite, they've got to be get, playing against each other. They've got to be high, that high-level intensity against each other. Same level. Exactly, and I think... Well, that's it, and I think it's... I think I think what if they've got the the junior competition or where it's going to go, and I think that first line that Football West put out where it's just going to go, we'll bring the community and the MPL teams back in together, yeah. and they'll have that ability to go up. Yeah. Absolutely, that, yeah, that, yeah, that's it. Let it play. All right, we've got joining us on the line now. A very short notice is Phil Kelly, the State League standing chair. Um, Phil, we're just talking about the. Um, <coughs> abolition of the junior MPL and that the implementation of, of what comes next. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, look, it's an interesting decision and long-awaited decision from football. So, good morning, gents. Sorry. Good well. um, morning. Um, it is, it's a long-awaited decision. And look, and I think it's what most people in football have been, have been wanting to happen. I think we've all... We've, on a, just listening to TC's comments before while I was um, tuning in this morning and literally 30 seconds ago was um, it's kind of back to where we kind of need to be, I think. And a, lo- a lot of lessons have been learnt over the MPL, junior MPL journey, I think. And we've done a lot to dilute the elite end of our competition. And I think what's going to happen now, hopefully, is that we stabilise and we're, we're going to allow not just clubs and um, and the competition to mature properly, but it'll be an evolution of age groups throughout a couple of years now. And I think what will happen is it'll it'll allow particular generations of kids now to actually have some consistency, and 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 that's got to be the driving force about this. I mean, what's happened to the NPL juniors is it's really encouraged disloyalty and and. Um, and, and, and the, the negative impacts of that have been significant. So that's what I'm hoping to see. Um, and I think that based on how things used to be, that's what we should be seeing. I don't know what your thoughts are as well, PC. Yeah, look, I, I, I completely, completely, hundred percent agree. I think it's uh, where it should be is how it, it, it always, always has been uh, before the NPL came in, because um, you had a lot of 
clubs that didn't have Saturday teams that did put so much effort into juniors, so much effort, more Absolutely, so. Absolutely, yeah. And they got dis- almost destroyed. Yeah. Um, because of the fact yeah. of. And but it was something we do well. I mean, the Super League. Um, Ashfield had juniors right up until that, and then Super League killed it completely. Um, we've done it with other clubs. We've got um, clubs that are very good at junior development who are now um, making agreements or merging with um, other, you know, Saturday clubs to try and, and give a pathway, but the, a pathway of what? I mean, I suppose the biggest thing I see in, in football is that we've got all these big announcements recently that um, someone, that no one knows who they are, has signed for a second division club as a big signing. And um, we're all thinking that they signed for Manchester United and Liverpool. We haven't. We are a third world country when it comes to football, and we've got to realise that. Yeah. And there's no reason yeah. why... Yes. I was just going to say, there's no, there's no reason why, you know, as a, as a third world nation as in football, which we are, not me, well, WA at least, um, is why we can't still have a, a, a good a good level of competition, you know, and, and well Correct. set up. Uh, but also, you know, we do have, like, you look at the Netherlands, they, they're, they're what population level and, you know, okay, they've got a, they, they love football probably a little bit more. In it's terms a religion, of, yeah. It's a religion, yeah. but... Their numbers and what the players they produce. If you, oh, if you, Belgium, exactly. Look, yeah. it's there's no reason why we can't do that. It's just doing it, doing it right. And I think yeah. you, I just think whenever you move away from what sport is, and one of the biggest things, and I, you know, with me with the school and the program there, and as a teacher and so on, one of the biggest things I really focus on is 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 giving that sense of belonging. Yeah. Um, to players and being part of something and having a purpose and I think when one, one, what we've seen in the last 10 years is we say it's, it's increased you know sort of disloyalty and I think it goes both ways you know players are moving from club to club but also clubs it, it was well known they just cut players well the thing is that you see holding, it, you see it every year holding year. trials yeah that's my yeah. bugbear is holding trials for a club. You know, when you look at some of the, the bigger clubs, and I'll quote Mum because you're here, but, you know, why does a club like Mum need to hold trials when you've got 1,200 kids? It's not... I don't see that you need to do that. I also think that the concentration on the elite end is, is something we need to do. It needs to be an elite programme. But from eights upwards, really, it's just about involving and teaching the kids how to love the game. Because if you love the game at five, six, seven, eight, you're going to love the game as, as I am in my 60s, still loving and, and playing the game. So teach people to love the game first. Now, I see clubs out there, and I'm absolutely disgusted by this, and if you're doing it, shame on you, elite eights. You know, yeah. why, why would you take an elite eight so, and tell kids they're in an MPL eight? There is no such beast. And you, you're preaching elitism at eight. And the kid goes, oh, I'm not in the elite eight, so I'm going to go, I'll go play football or basketball. That's it. And, and yeah, I think I was just That's speaking it. to David, I was just saying off there that cricket, football um, and um, basketball. Uh, basketball do it far better than we do. Yeah. It's far, far better. Yep. You know, they, 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 you play in your local team, you play with your mates, and they have things where their, their system has, you know, this is your 50th game, and you see yep. them running through banners and stuff like that. And oh, it's, yeah. And the kids love it. Yeah, of course. And then when they're good enough, if, if they're the best player in the team, they'll go a sideways step to this elite where yep. it's the best, best, the best 10, whatever. Yep. But they still play with their mates. Yeah. They still play what with their mates. What that does, TC, is it creates that sense of belonging being part of something that we all know is so critically important. What the junior MPL has become is two things. It's become an elitist competition. It's become a, a brand that 
have, I think a lot of people have exploited right, mm. for the wrong purposes. Plus, even worse, and this has been the most damaging element for me, and I've seen so much evidence of this throughout all age groups, it has just become a box-ticking exercise. Yep. And it is junior development and the kids' welfare, the parents' welfare, the kids' desires, parents reliving their lost or ambition, right, has all gone to the wayside. It's just become this massive, um, unachievable target that has become so diluted and there's too many clubs involved, there's too many people as Sean mentioned before, there are clubs that aren't NPL clubs that are offering NPL programs. There are clubs that are offering NPL academies and NPL um, teams at under eights, nines, and tens. And that is 100% only where we should be focusing on loving the game and fundamentals. And the game takes a massive transition um, from that 10 to 11 space into 12 to 13 where the game goes onto a bigger pitch, and then it does become become more competitive and more cutthroat. But what we're doing is we're forgetting a lot of those kids that are going to form our Metro players in the future, probably our club administrators and those sorts of things in the future, where they're falling out of love of the game um, at such a young age now because they're not part of that elite stream. And and then when then when they get to the older age groups and they're not making MPL teams, they drop out then because they're not in the elite end, and that's been the focus. That's what I was going to exactly and, say. That and that, point, yeah. you know they, they get then disillusioned with the game. If I remember back to the early nineties when I was coaching um, my kids in a, a, a local club, um, I took the basically the same bunch of kids from under sevens right the way through to under fourteens, and we got through to the under fourteen Prem League. We we're playing in the Prem League with largely a team of those kids that I had from seven years old, um, all within the same club. We got to the final of the, the cup. Um, and at the end of it, a lot of those boys ended up playing for NPL teams and some at Inglewood, some at Floriot, some elsewhere, some at Perth. Um, once they were older and they went to other programs. And I know, Phil, you went through that same um, club, the same program. And, you know, because there was no Saturday team, you ended up playing for Queen's Park 18s, along with a lot of those boys that you'd played with at, at Forestfield. So, um, exactly. you know, you still... But you know what, though? What, what, but what I can tell you is the difference then to now that I see, and certainly for myself, is there was a sense of belonging, there was a sense well, of camaraderie, not just with the club, with your coach, no. and with the players you'd played with for 10 years yeah. as well. But, but the other thing, the, the boys that didn't make it into those 18s or didn't make it into those other clubs remained still at that club and were the backbone of their amateurs and social sides. So, you know, the thing is, if you love the game, you'll play at whatever level. And, you know, once you're, you're into that age group, 15, 16, 17, you understand there are people better at, at players out there than you and you know where you, you fit in yeah. your space. Yeah. But if you if you learn to love the game first, then you'll still keep playing at any level. But loving the game, your sense of belonging yeah. and being part of something are all going to keep you in the game. And Correct. You're not going to give it up. You're not, And even if you do give it up for a couple of years, you're going to end up back. That's what happened to me. I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. At 18, 19, I took a little bit of a break from football and ended up coming back to it. But I think also, um, what, just, and, just and, sorry for what you were saying about the sense of belonging. It's not it, the, the biggest thing about that as well. We're, we're talking about teenage kids here. We're talking about teenage boys, 15, 16, 17, 30, you know, that, that age group that 
that that sense of belonging is so so vital. Not nothing to do with football and playing in the future. No, well, it is obviously. But, but find your place in the world. But find your place in the world. But also just that mental health side of things. Just yeah. just you know that we, we, you, as again as a teacher, you see kids who, who just wander wander around and they 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 almost have nothing. Um, and and you kind of want to direct them into something and be part of something. And that's you know why why schools have clubs and so on yeah. for those who are on the outside getting them involved in like a chess club or getting them involved in, or some, even, even a homework club so they can be there with other people and talking because some of them don't have that. No. And, and I think, and you do see that sometimes that players, just as footballers, wandering because they don't know where they're supposed to be or whether, yeah. and, and, I, and I think one of the biggest things, I, I look, I, for my mental health, one of the things I was, when I was coaching and I, had a, I, I was sort of stopped playing and I found as a coach, you don't make friends as a coach. It took me. It took me a while to get that because you can't. You know, you you are in charge of these guys. You've got to drop them. And and I was struggling a little bit early two thousands. A little bit with the mental health. A little bit. And then I got involved playing at Linwood hmm. Masters Vets. And all of a sudden, I felt part of something. And these these are still my friends. I mean, yeah. you know, one of them's already turned sixty odd now. And I'm I'm thinking I don't know how long we're going to keep playing some of them. But I know. We're going to have go out socially. We're going to go away for our end of season weekends, even yep. even if they do start playing. But as soon as I started playing again, it literally my whole mental health yep. just. But that, but I did similar thing. I mean, obviously I've got the, this radio program and been involved in in the game, but I wasn't playing. And then you know, three four years ago, I, I fell into walking football, and that's just reinvigorated my um, mental health and, and where I sit in the world. And, and I'm, I'm really happy playing, um, walking football. And recently I went and played seven aside running football for over fifties and went, you know what? I really love my walking football. So again, you just know where you fit and it, it, everything makes sense. And you go out there and you, you have the, the, the war, the battle, uh, it's a social bond. The, ban- we, yeah. the banter. And then, a- and then after the game, yeah, again, it's, it's so good for your mental health, but yeah. your fitness and everything else. But the, the, there's also this thing uh, about the junior MPL that uh, if you don't make it, yeah, it's like a serious... You're a failure. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, some clubs are doing that to kids at seven and eight. You know, well, that, if, if, you're not, if you're not in the elite eights, then again, actually, I know of one club that sacked their under eights coach because he was, wasn't winning enough games. Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. It's, it, no, it, look, it, it's that that co- super competitive um, yeah. atmosphere which is just so wrong. Yeah. And those kids, uh, that age group, should be just out there playing for the fun of it. Yeah. I remember, again, back in the, the late 80s, early 90s, when I first started coaching these under-7s, I had one lad who, in his first game as a seven-year-old, ran out into the park, just laid down looking at clouds. Um, but no, but he ended up playing in, in the amateur side as a 19, 20-year-old. Yeah. So, you know, whatever you can find it, where you find it, yeah, uh, it's exactly. just, you know, you've got to... I mean, he'd never have made an elite team, yeah. but... So what? Uh, so what? No, but the thing is... That's what I'm saying, though. It doesn't going, matter. But he was going out there kicking the ball every week and, and finding the love in the game, yeah. and that's yeah. it. And then, you know, a couple of games where his, his daddy worked FIFO turned up, he was just a star. But, you know... That's what you want. You want the kids to love the game first and foremost. I think that's where we've lost our way within well, the I think game. it's like when you talk about that elite level as well is, to be honest, when you, you know, it's like which coach made Messi? Well, I'll tell you what, virtually, let's say you had 20 coaches. I would say 17 of them had very little impact because when you've got those diamonds and you see them when they're young, mm. I know, you know, and it's all about just providing them with opportunity and not stuffing them up. Yeah. Mm. And I would say the biggest coaches would have had an impact 
other than his family were probably his under six, seven, eight, nine coaches mm-hmm. to, to get that love and that desire, help him, help him explore that. They were probably the most important coaches, not the ones who were 15, 16, not probably Pep Guardiola or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, granted, they would have, you know, they would they have... They finessed the game. Finessed it. Yeah. But at that elite level, it's really just about providing, like I said, that opportunity and getting the players together. And yes, you, you do fine-tune it, but it's fine-tuning. Yeah. You don't need... Those ones are going to make it to elite. And, They've and got do something you, innate about them. But do you think with the NPL programme and the curriculum that the NPL has, that if we'd have had a Pele or a Messi within that, number one, they may not have been able to afford that programme, but number two, the amount of flair they had would have been stifled uh, in that programme. Do, you know, do you know what I would have done if I had a, a, a Pele or Messi and I was doing under seven mm. eights at this and this, or eight just nines, let, whatever? Just I would, do. And I would have literally just gone, played four at the back, just kick it at him and let him because these, you know, because that's 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 only because just give him the ball as much as he can because that's the best thing you can possibly do in, yeah. in, in our system because that's, you know, th- that's basically all you can really do in our system because there's no you're not they're not there's especially as you get older they're yeah. not going to have any games to play where they're, they're really tested so you might as well just get them on the ball as much as you possibly can oh, look, even under thirteens fourteens. Put them on the wing, give them the ball. And every you, you, time. See, you see it in coaches. I mean, when, when I was playing as a lad, 16, 17, my, my younger brother, who was a year younger than me, was, was a, an absolute diamond striker. He was banging goals in for fun, scored 60 in a season. And they moved him from the third team up into the, into the second team. And because we had seven teams in, in our um, grading system. So they moved him up from the fifth to the third to the second. And when he got to the second, the coach started to say to him, look, when you get into the box, you've got to start looking for another option because you don't always score every time. So then he's getting into the box and he's having to start to think about his game. It killed him. Until you, until you realise, just ignore what that coach is telling me and just do what I do. Mm. You know, if there's another option on, he would, he would consider it. But most of the time he was going for goal because that's what he did. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And you've got to let him go. Sometimes you do have to let them go and you can't stifle that flair. Yeah. And sometimes... That flair can actually look bad because if you've got someone like a junior Messi playing in the team, he'll play a ball that maybe the the player he's played it onto isn't good enough to trap, receive, or even move towards, and it makes him look bad. But yeah. the the ball wasn't wrong. The ball was just light years ahead of where the other players were. Yeah. Just uh, so, uh, with, Phil, with the um, the proposal has come out, and I said, as I said at the start, um, look, I think the footballers get this put this forward and do it right then you know what all is forgiven about my issues with squad at the start of last year and bang him <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but I would I would <laughs> a national problem squaddy a national problem not just football West no no absolutely yeah. um, but if football West do this I think like I said this will be the best and biggest change but when I was reading through the criteria I said that first line and I just thought just stay there just leave it at that and just do that. But then they had these other points coming in. And the only thing that slightly concerned me was they were talking about the facilities and, and oh, there's got to be a, there was a comment of criteria, I think, in there. And that, that does worry me a little bit yeah. because it's, is it just the status quo? And like I said, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, this is, like I said, I think what Fort West was doing in the, the, these initial steps, absolutely brilliant, absolutely 100% brilliant, really pleased they're going down this path. Um, and I could just be reading into it more than, than what it is. Hmm. But, and, but, it does concern me if, if with, with those words, and I just—I mean, I don't know what you you've seen about it, Phil. Whether no, I, I tend to agree. And what, what we hope, and, and you're one hundred percent right, TC, is the the first sentence of that is perfect. However, everything underneath that, we we try and do too much sometimes, 
And what I hope doesn't happen is we end up with an NPL light or mm. some kind of... You know, Close shop. Without yeah. calling it the NPL, we end up with something similar where it just creates a yet another elite strip. Look, However, the- I, I think it'll be better only from the fact that there won't be... Compliance a, teams. Well, there won't be a locked-away competition, effectively, yeah. right? There will be... You know, clubs can... And, yeah, they may need to meet some criteria, and that's probably okay if we're talking governance, accreditation, those sorts of things. Um, I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Um, but so, sorry, Sean, you were going to say something? Well, it would get away with those, or take away those compliance teams that, you know, we've had clubs that have just, because they, wanted, they were NPL and wanted to remain NPL, have had to fill a side because they didn't have players, so they just filled it with anyone. Um, and then they ended up getting absolutely flogged in the league. But it's also got the, the criteria's got to yeah. stick. I mean, you can't have, you know, in a couple of years ago, and that's, then I think a couple mm. of years ago they were looking, they, they knew they were moving towards yeah. this, but we're not taking any new NPL teams. But at the same time, you had teams in the NPL that were not fulfilling the criteria. Oh, correct. So exactly. yeah. you can't have criteria. Yeah, no, that, that's wrong. But the thing is, you, you go back to the system that was running in the 80s and 90s where teams were promoted on merit and the, you had your under 10 South, A, B, C, D and, and same with the Norths. And then you know, the following season, the top two in every every league went into the the next year. They were the Division 1 South for um, you know, the Southern Area and the North yeah. did the same thing. And then... By 12s, you had teams that were then um, competing in a 12-year-old Premier League or a 13-year-old Premier League that had all kind of gone through um, a natural progression and a natural um, grading system. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you ended up with a, with a Premier League of 14s, 15s, 16s, which was pretty much stable. But the teams that weren't good enough were, were filtering out and the teams underneath that had late developers or different squads turning up were then pushing up into that Premier League. So the the promotion relegation is is, is a, a core element of our game. But we, yeah. we moved away from that when the whole winning. Mm. We don't want to, you know, it was almost... Um, I remember Kelly Cross was at a meet. Uh, we had a conference about ten years ago, and I should have pulled him up on at the time. Um, and he sort of said, "Who cares about the under 13s cup? Win- you know, old league winners." And I felt like, well, the, the, the team that won the league. This could be the only time they ever get a, a, a chance of success. But, yeah. but again, you, you go back to the under eights, nines, and tens. I can remember um, when my kids were playing in those leagues. There were there were no leagues. They just played against each other week in, week out. The kids themselves knew who was top of the league and who the best teams were. Exactly, yeah. But they're keeping the, score. But they were, yeah, they <laughs> are. There was, there was no formal leagues, and I, I agree with that. But the kids themselves were doing it, and those that really cared, really cared. And those that didn't give a damn, didn't give a damn. And, and it didn't matter. No, no, that, that, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, just kicking the ball, enjoying it. Yeah. Having a bit of fun. But, Absolutely. Yeah. But I think. Jackets down, let's get on. Oh, yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> you know, jumpers for goalposts type yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. But, no. but it's. Um, it's it's when you get to the 13, 14s and, and you, that having a league and winning a league is it, it's still part of the development. First of all, I, I, as I said, I've I've had kids. They've only ever won. I remember there was this Irish guy who played at Shamrock and he never he won. We won the league in two thousand and ten. He was twenty nine, yeah. whatever. His last league win, and he's an exceptional player. Yeah, a uh, guy called Robbie Fanny. He was brilliant. Um, and he um, it was, it was the only other time he won it was when he was under thirteens. So he's had a good. 
you know, and he was a very, very good player. Like he could play yeah. some very, very good teams. He just never won won anything. And um, so th- there's that component. And but also, it's it, winning still a development tool. It and it, for, for 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 most good coaches, they'll still try and play enjoyable football. To be fair, that whole winning mentality was about the parents and those mm. coaches who just go well, well over the top. Yeah. But that that's hard to change that mentality in them. But for all the other coaches. So there's nothing wrong with the leagues and relegation. Oh, of course not. And, and you know what? Sometimes that last two games, and there's a bit of pressure. And there's nothing wrong if you've got players who want to be the best, and you've got to, they've got to have that little bit of pressure. They've got to know that if you want to go and play at the top level, be professional. They've got to start doing it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like any job, any kind of profession. You need that little bit of pressure, and there's nothing wrong with learning how to win a league. No. Exactly. When are they going to learn how to do it? If they, if, yeah. at some point, if they don't. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Not, and I think just that, not just that, TC. You also need to know how to lose too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Experience. Yeah. And experience that disappointment as well because you don't want to do that again. And if you want an inspiration to be better, you can't do better than a loser cup final. I could see <laughs> that now. Yeah, I've had a few of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, no, look, and, and yeah. the thing is that sometimes those, those games you think, you know, I gave it my all. I, I said to my lads when they went out to the full teams cup final, um, some of you will never ever play in another final ever again. Go out there, enjoy it, do the best you can, be the best you can, because this may be it for you. Yeah. yeah. There's also a yeah. little story here. Uh, my grandson was thinking of packing, couldn't get a, a game because he reckoned he should yeah. be playing uh, MPL, senior yeah. MPL. Yeah. And he's like 20 years old, but hasn't done his apprenticeship. He hasn't done his full learning skills. And he eventually went to the local club and played uh, amateur, premier. And within six weeks of being at the club, he's holding a night series cup last season. Yeah. You know, first cup he's ever won. You know, (laughs) he'll probably play for another 10 years. Oh, absolutely. He's enjoying his football down there. Yeah. Yeah. Apprenticeship is a good is a good word. I think mm. there's there's yeah. a lot of you know when I was coming through and I was you know 15, 16, 17 and I was coming through with the first team, you know you were you were you know you had to you 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 know you had you had to earn your stripes mm. yeah you know absolutely. You had to earn your stripes and I think um, you know having those senior players those thirty two year olds and you know the older twenty year olds and stuff like that you you know you had to earn them you had to you know you you were expected to ring the balls and you expected that you know, this was in the nineties and so on yeah. Is that still happen as much these days? No, I mean, no, yeah. it doesn't. And again, look, um, I was living in Albany when my youngest was, you know, fifteen, sixteen. Um, he actually played in the adults um, Premier League down there, um, up against fully grown men aged anything up to thirty-five. Um, and at that point, I told him you've lost all right to be treated like a child. But he he became a lot stronger player because of that. Yeah. Well, my, I just remember my first game I started. I was on, came off the bench at a, um, I think it was at uh, Dianella. Um, I was only 17 or something like that, and I had my first start, and it was at Gosnells. And mm. it's the old proper pitch Gosnells and yes. old style Gosnells. And um, I had, uh, you know, John Peacock um, play for Joondalup, mm-hmm. um, Scouser, tough, yeah. you know, like. Hard as nails. Hard, yeah. Hard, yeah. And, I, you know, at training as well. Like, uh, yeah. you know, I've, he, and he. You know, at training, I copped a, a bit of abuse from him and, and some hard challenges from him, and and because he, he never held back. But I tell you what, when I played that game, everything I did was he was positive, just in my ear. It was just gave me such a boost. I had a cracking game, and it just came down from him. Mm. You know, and it was that senior. Yeah. You know, but how many people are willing to put do the, do that hard yards and cop that? Not abuse, because it's not abuse, but that. Um, 
of you know that you have to earn, as you said, earn your yeah, stripes. Yeah, yeah. You know, where I don't think it happens as much. I think players well, just... Yeah, I, I imagine now it would be, look, I'm feeling bullied and you, you've hurt my <laughs> yeah, feelings. And I've, yeah, I don't know. Look, it, it was one of those things. You, you, you certainly got some tough talking by your on-field coach. And, you know, that was always someone like John that you respected, um, who you feared. Um, and when he said to you, get after him, catch him, you did. Because there was no other, no, there was no, no, I can't do that. Yeah. But those, 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 yeah. those senior players really did um, give you that little bit, bit of boost, the good ones, oh, yeah. you know. And I think yeah. I said that apprenticeship of going through all those elements and again, it starts again with that feeling right. sense of belonging and so yeah. on. So a, a change attack, we talked about the NPL and where, where it's headed for the junior NPL and where, where their hopes and dreams are. And obviously over the next year or so, we'll see what happens in that area. But one thing I do want to talk about is the, the current glory um, situation. Um, news is that Khalifi has been loaned to victory and that McEnough is gone to Shamrock. Um, you know, and we are running out of players and people are, are blaming the, the glory administration um, and particularly um, the, the backroom staff what's going on. It's not, it's not their fault. Um, you know, what, Anthony Radich is doing the best he can, but the financial um, things of this club have been held by the APL and also you've got Cordamentha involved and Phil your opinion on, on that arrangement and, and the, the impact that has well, yeah well it's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people don't understand what has actually happened to the glory and and it's good to talk about it actually because more people need to know and unfortunately and this is sad is that the glory as we knew it no longer exists and that's is something that we all need to get our heads around, right? The, the license has been handed back to the APL, who who always maintain rights over that license. Yeah. Now, the, the glory was a, was a company trading as, as Oakwood Proprietary Limited, trading as Perth Glory. And that company has been put into receivership. So that's when you hear on the news about job losses and um, big companies going bust. How color or exactly whatever, yeah. The same Yep, exactly the same thing has happened to the Perth Glory. Now, in a slightly different scenario, to preserve the integrity of the A-League um, and the A-League licence that's currently held by well, Perth Glory, the APL are underwriting the players', players wages, the players' player contracts, because that's Correct. their best interest, obviously. Right? So that is a massively complicating situation because... All of the money that that the receivers are attempting to generate are all about one thing and one thing only. Quickly and expediently selling the assets or the, the company to new owners or liquidating that company. There's no other possible um, journey for Oakwood Proprietary Limited trading as first glory. It will either be sold to new, a new party or it will be liquidated. There's no other journey from it. Now, outside of that, there's a number of complicating factors that we're not going to go into because I'm just speculating here, right? Yeah. But I would imagine that there's a number of commercial agreements that are holding back that sale that aren't being disclosed to the public. And there's a number of, of, of interested parties, and we could call them secured creditors or unsecured yeah. creditors in some cases, and I believe that some of those, and some of those have been well documented in the media as well, about um, wanting to have a stake in the glory in the past and 
present and in the future. And I, I put it to, I have, I allege and I guess that those complicating factors are what's impacting the sale, the previous sale and the ongoing sale. So I don't think the future's looking very, very positive for Oakwood Proprietary Limited trading as per slurry, receivers and managers appointed, right? Mm. And that's the entity, that's its full name at the moment. Now, the licence is a different story because the APL could effectively issue that licence to any new consortium wanting to participate in the A-League, yes, in any city, but I don't subscribe to the conspiracy that they don't want a West or a Perth side in the competition. I think they do. And I think what's most likely going to happen is Oakwood will... Um, be liquidated, won't exist anymore. A new consortium will come in at some point, and perhaps it's the Bresciano one that was mentioned in the media last night. And um, and a new license will, will will come out of that. And what needs to happen with the old entity will happen. But I don't know what that means for Perth Glory playing in purple. To be honest with you, I've got no idea. But an A League team in Perth is is I'm sure a firm part of the APL's plans in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's a very good distinction that the, the the entity trading as glory are one thing and the licence is another. Um, and then you also then yeah. tie in the, the other complicating factor is that the, the people that effectively own the glory shed half of their staff in the last week. So they're obviously looking to save money. Well, well the APL has its own issues, right? I mean, they've had a... They've had the, um, and I forget what they called it, their marketing office wasn't that good because I'm quite involved in football and I can't remember what it was. Yeah. But that that round from Sydney last week was, was a failure. The Unite round, yeah. Failure. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, look, and, the, and, and the A-League's not, not travelling so well at the moment. Um, it's not capturing the imagination of the footballing public. There's nothing wrong with football. Probably the same, if not more, people involved in football, um, wanting to watch football and look at the success of the Matildas, etc. Um, it's interesting looking at some of the numbers for the Asian Cup as well. It's yeah. just there, there is a it's, it's an odd thing, and I can't, I don't understand what it is about the A League that people. People just don't want to involve themselves with it. Yeah, but it's not just the A-League. I think everyone's suffering. Cricket, rugby have all had um, some drop-offs in their numbers. They're the successful teams. Yeah, will always... You are right. And I think there are... There are well, it depends. it depends on the form, right? So talk about other sports for a second. I mean, um, 2020 cricket's booming yeah. for, as, as an example. Um, but test cricket isn't. But you're right. It's about captivating that you know, cost of living, all those sorts of things are a factor. Um, the, the fact that the A-League isn't as... Well, maybe it is more... You could argue it's more accessible than it ever has been from a free-to-air perspective, but do people want to subscribe to another service in Paramount? I mean, I think you only get one or two games on Channel 10. Yep. Is that is that a contributing factor? I don't know. It's certainly a factor from... I know that most people don't want to subscribe to another streaming service. No, and I think the other thing is that when when you're a Glory fan, you want to watch Glory games. So part of your financial figuring is, do I want to pay X amount of dollars to get 
a streaming service that will provide me with the away games because I'm not really going to watch Wellington play um, Central Coast because that doesn't fire me up at all. Well, you're even less inclined to watch it in an empty stadium yeah. as well. Oh, look, and I think, and I we talk to our next guest, David Winkler, very shortly, but um, he actually was at the Unite round. But some of the things I've seen on the internet, and I'll talk to him about this, is that even in Sydney, there wasn't any hints or clues that the Unite round was on. So even the local people who were there weren't enticed to go to games. And I think, you know, from a club perspective, the whole thing was, was so rushed that the clubs didn't have enough time to to have an away trip planned through the club because if the club was able to do... Completely was crushed. Yeah, yep. you know... No, no, the, marketing, the marketing on it has failed. Yeah. Um, and, and we've seen the results of that. And, it, and it's not good because I think the APL were, were relying or hoping on that, yeah. giving them some revenue. They've made some um, pretty critical decisions immediately after. So they obviously haven't met anywhere near their minimum requirements because they made significant announcements regarding job cuts immediately after. Yeah. So it's not a good not a good sign. And another thing, it's gonna make it's gonna complicate further that potential glory ownership too. Of course I it mean, is. There there'd be serious question marks over what you're buying a license for at this stage. And, and is the value in that license? I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I do not know. Well they're talking about twenty five twenty five million dollars for a license, I think was the, the figure I saw somewhere. Um, is it worth mm. it? I mean that's the thing. And you know, there's talk now of a Canberra side coming in as well. So I mean not not that we don't need another team. I think we do need another team and Canberra makes complete and perfect sense. But um, well, again nearly, nearly nearly as much nearly as much as the second division does. Yeah, well, the second division is minus the WA team, but yeah, never mind that. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting... There's, yeah, there's a few complicating factors going on at the moment in, in that National League space. Um, probably, probably beyond us here on a Saturday morning. Yeah, but it's not beyond us discussing it. And I think, as you know, healthy discussion is, is part of the process. And, you know, we've had a, a good healthy discussion about junior NPL. Um, how much of that will you know, come to fruition, I do not know. But, you know, the the whole point of this is that people need to be expressing where they are. I think from a glory perspective, and I've said this already earlier in the show, that rather than boycotting games, we should attend games. I'm a, I'm a diehard fan. Um, and, I, and I'm going to turn up with my boots around my neck because, you know, it doesn't matter how many players they don't let us sign, there's always someone will step up into the breach and, you know, if it, if it has to be us, we'll do it. But... Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't like the idea that the a Perth-based club in, in the A-League is dead. I think the the brand Perth Glory has certainly got some baggage, but, um, you know, there's, there's certainly got enough history. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't think a licence in Perth is dead at all. I, I, I absolutely think that a Perth team is a firm part of the ACL's plan. Yeah. Um, I couldn't imagine any, other, any, any scenario where it wouldn't be. The problem is, though, is around... That license fee, the value in it, the complications around the glory are another thing. Yeah, absolutely. And the, ob- and the obvious demise, or at least at the moment, <coughs> the lack of interest in, in the A League itself. Yeah, absolutely. And that is a that is that, that is a, probably the most critical complicating factor for finding a new for a new a new uh, a new owner. 
Yeah, but I don't think it's just, as I said, I don't think that's an A-League um, thing in itself. As you said, Test cricket has had some some issues, um, but so has rugby. And I think, you know, there's everyone's had their issues as far as spectators go. And when you're looking at an economic crisis across the world, cost of living increases, et cetera, et cetera, very hard to um, factor in that as an entertainment but what's interesting is if we had the Matildas playing here, or probably even the Socceroos, let's be honest. Or, or um, the, the, the male Matildas, feel, as they're getting called. Yeah, well, yeah. You'd, fill, you'd, fill the, you'd fill every stadium in the country for them to play. Yeah. Right? There's not a stadium in this country you wouldn't fill. There's not um, a TV station that wouldn't throw everything they possibly could. But there, but there is a paper that would make a report on a national competition and not give it a photograph, not give it even a, a quarter of a page notice and, and still have three or four pages about a local football team's training regime. And I think, you know, that's that's part another part of the problem. We don't get enough publicity and, you know, we get buried into a, a, a tiny little page. The, the, the Socceroos have qualified for the next stage of, of the AFC, which is a mag- magnificent achievement by them and it gets like a, a two-column, two-inch piece in the West. No photograph no, it and it's buried four pages well, in no. when we're talking about some player who's got an injury who turned up and kicked a couple of balls, you know? Yeah. But we've, we've, discussed, we've discussed this on here before, Sean. Yeah. This is merely about football's investment in media. Of course. Those, those pages of... Cost money. Uh, I mean, of Nick, Nat, of Nick Natanui breaking his toenail right, hmm. talking about that for six days, that is paid for by the footy commission, the AFL. Yeah, they that, literally pay for those. That's a whole new program on another day, Phil. We, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, look, our time is coming to a close. I've got to get Dave on very shortly. So um, appreciate you yeah. filling in at the last minute for Alex, who did try valiantly uh, to get through. I think we've tried about 18 different numbers. I think I've got all of his family's phone numbers in my phone now. Um, and whatever we tried didn't work. So, look, Alex, thank you very much for your efforts as well. All right, thanks, no Phil. No dramas at all, Sean, any time. Cheers, mate. And good to chat, TC and Dave. Yeah, bye, Phil. Okay, plenty there to talk about. MPO, obviously very passionate and junior development, your, your bag of... Um, Things, isn't it? You know, you've always been passionate about junior development since oh. the day I met you. So, yeah, yeah. One of my, one of my, yeah. <laughs> well, it is one of my. Well, it's what you do, though. You it know? is what I do. Yeah, yeah. it is. What um, I do. And I think you know, look, for all of us, the, a Perth side in in the A League is is vitally important. Um, Absolutely. But you know, we may well be looking at the death of the glory and a new entity. I do not know. Um, it really is tied up in a whole load of well, sometimes out of the ashes and. Oh, look, we hit rock bottom. We, there's only one way, and that's up. Yeah. Um, Do you think one of the... I mean, Dave, you, especially, you know, you're obviously involved. Um, do you think Glory's involvement in the in in the local community, you know, is is has been as good as it can be? Do you think it is their... Um, they're having their own teams in the local competitions. Do you think that actually has been a, a negative factor in terms of support for the main team, potentially? Um, oh, that's a good question. Actually, I, th- I think at junior level, definitely, and and certainly in the the non MPL groups, it has been. I think really personally, and I don't think I get any argument out of the the club at the moment, is that until <clears throat> really until 18s, they shouldn't. I think their involvement in the MPL 
or the the Premier League or the the State League, depending on where they are relegation wise, is actually something they need to be doing because these young kids are never going to get a chance anywhere else to play against adults. Um, and when you look at the restrictions on their NPL side, um, yeah, they should they should be playing those um, under twenty threes in in that competition to harden them up and to get them game time. I, I think in the junior sides, yes, definitely has caused some issues. Yeah, but I, I think from from a, a state league NPL perspective, it makes logical sense. And if we don't like it, we don't like it. But the thing is that they, as a professional entity, under transfer rules, should be able to buy in players from those clubs. And you know, if they're poaching from um, local clubs, 18s, to bring in the best to them. I don't think that that's a, a bad thing at that think, point. But I think it's... Oh, go on, Dan. I was sort of swithering how the question was going to work there. Mm. For me, what they used to do 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the glory was out there all summer. Yeah. You know, and uh, there would be coming to different clubs and doing bits and pieces. Communities that, of... That seems to have all dried up mm. and all they're doing is uh, paid, uh, you know, yeah. coaching courses and stuff, which, you know, it, it can work beautifully or it can be terrible. I mean, it depends how many people turn up. Mm. And the actual money they make out of it is minimal. And I don't know that it... it that goodwill of that... You're right, I remember... Um, at the, with our school academy, you know, we have carnivals and we'd, we'd get some glory, actually glory players down, not yeah. like not the, not the youth team players yeah. or anything like that, but actual glory players come down and they sign shirts. And I yeah. like said that was about ten years ago. Yeah. And that's yeah, we can't even get can't even get a, a phone call through now. We don't, I mean, to be fair, we haven't even tried the last couple of years because yeah, we just gave up. And was that in Popper's time or before? Probably even before, even yeah. before that, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's I think since. After pop, it yep. seemed to have just dried off. Yeah, I think that's yeah. probably a good, uh, a good sort of benchmark to it. Um, because he always had his guys up coming out to, to visit the clubs and and mm. you know, some some of the top names, you know, Castro and guys like this yeah. coming up to. All right, guys. Um, look, great discussion. But uh, joining us on the phone now is David Winkless. David is the president of the. Perth Glory Shed Supporters Club um, and do a marvellous job of that and he was at the Unite Round last week and I'm going to talk to him about that very shortly. Good morning David, how are you? Yeah, morning guys, uh, I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, I'm excellent. Um, David, um, first off, you, you've been what the president of the uh, PSSG for how long? Um, I've been the president of the Glory Shed Supporters Club now for about three years. Yep. And one of the more recognisable people, I think there's there's not one promo that doesn't go by without you out there with your, your hat full of badges and uh, your scarves hanging out your pocket. So um, very recognisable individual out there in the community. Yes. Yes, fantastic. Um, now, you went to the Unite round last week um, and I saw pictures of your your um, digs there all decked out with the glory flags, etc. Um how was that experience for you, and where do you think the the APL need to improve on 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 that experience? Um, yeah, look, um, I thought it was uh, okay as a concept. Um, I wanted to get behind it because obviously I didn't like the whole grand final decision, mm. so that was why I booked my flights for it. 
Um, as for things that the APL can improve, I think certainly the scheduling for me and for others was a massive factor. You've only got to look at the fact that you had Perth and Wellington, you had the women's teams playing on the Friday night. That was a 5pm kickoff over there for the Glory Women and the Wellington Phoenix were the game after. And then on the Sunday, you had the men playing out at Parramatta at 7.45. And that's not really conducive to getting people to fly over there. And I'm certain that Destination New South Wales are paying all that money to the APL so that they can have people flying in from around Australia and New Zealand. Oh, without a doubt. And I think the the idea was that... um whatever happened, the clubs got behind them or whatever and, and had or, or ran very much, I mean, like you do every year, the Tour of Duty. It was an opportunity for the clubs to arrange a Tour of Duty of their own. But again, with how this was rushed in, um, I don't think even the clubs had an opportunity to do that. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I saw, you know, a lot of complaints from people about the attendances over the weekend. Yep. But when you look at the Unite round, it was only announced three days before the start of the season. Yep. And the fixtures probably would have been out at least a month and a half beforehand. Yep. So most of your diehard, hardcore football fans, they've already budgeted and planned for their away days. Yep. You know, so three days out from the season, they don't really have time to go, oh, you know, let's not go to Adelaide. Let's go to Sydney now because the Unite round's in January. So that, for me, was one of the factors around the attendances. But I certainly think that next year, the APL and all the clubs and the fans will give their feedback. So the APL have now got themselves a year to work out what didn't work this time around so that next year they can hopefully make it bigger and better. Oh, yeah, look, and I've said this to the club myself, that if there was a, a club tour of duty um, which had some club functions tied in, you know, um, we certainly would look at going over, but um, there was nothing, you know. And I think with a an aircraft accommodation um, and transport deal, you know, the couple of coaches, um, hotel deal, and a you know a players' meal or whatever. But where something where we met with the players or the, or the club was involved in the sport, the sporters, I think would be a good deal. Um, but also for me, what. When I've been to over to Sydney and, and Melbourne before, papers are always full of the football news and the, the TV is much more football on it than we get here. Um, for the local, the Sydney local, how, how much media coverage was there on, on the Unite Round? Um, yeah, look, it was OK, I think. Um, look, you know, obviously, um, look, um, I think um, that the coverage was, um, was good. Um, and look, um, on your point about the club as well, you know, I think that would be a great pull factor to get people over there. You know, if the club actually had functions on, well, I know it's going to be harder, a lot harder for Perth because obviously, you know, flying over from Perth, you know, you um, you know, to pay a massive, a massive investment, yeah, to be there and everything would be difficult. But certainly, all your squad members and stuff, all that stuff would be fantastic to have. Yeah, but I think if you went over there on a package deal um, and 
you know, whether you flew with the club or flew in a separate plane, I'm not really that bothered. But if the package included, you know, you, you go to a training session, um, you go to the games, you go to a function afterwards, um, it would be worth the extra dollars to, to do that. And it would make the, the connection with the club that, great, that, that much greater. Yes. Oh, yeah, it would. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff would make it a lot greater. Like, I know that this year for me and my mate, it was cheaper for us to all pull together and book an Airbnb than what it would have been to take up the hotel accommodation discounts that were on offer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think look, that's where the APL come into it as well with the, the, the hotels and accommodation that they start to book, um, you know, a complete hotel and say, if you go to the Hyatt in Sydney or wherever, um, that they've all, they've already engineered a deal for all of those clubs coming in, whether it be from Wellington or from uh, Brisbane or Perth. That there's been, you know, because obviously they want the tourism, and it's not just about what you do for the games. Because you're not just going to sit in a hotel, go to a game, go back to the hotel, and then fly back home. You're going to go out and have a night out. You're going to go and spend money. You're going to go, you know, you've got to have, you've got to eat, you've got to drink. Um, there, there's a, a massive amount of money that gets generated by tourism. Yeah, well, um, we got lucky when we were over there because uh, we had the Socceroos opening Asian Cup match on the Saturday night. Yeah. So we went so um, so we went out with a bunch of supporters from other A-League clubs. You know, we've got mates yeah. that we know from the other A-League supporters clubs. So we met up with them at a bar late night on the Saturday and we watched the Socceroos. Yeah. So we actually got out and we actually, I'm like, you know, did a bit of sightseeing. Yeah which is what they want. And then I suppose the other thing is there's a merchandising operation uh, as well that's been missed because um, my son recently been in England and one of the things he brought me home was a Wolverhampton West Ham scarf, which was half and half because that, that was the yeah. game that they played. I mean, for the Unite round, you could have had similar kind of merchandising for, for a whole range of things. Yeah. Um, I didn't see too much merchandise. And, look, you know, that was probably one of my gripes. Look, um, I don't know if I would purchase a half-and-half half scarf, but certainly, like, you know, if there was a scarf that had Unite Round on it, the date, you know, with all the club logos on it, yeah. that would be something cool. And even, you know, like a bucket hat with yeah. all the club logos on it and Unite Round, just the basic things, or even a pin for my hat, because, you know, the Shed Supporters Club, you know, we've all got these hats that have got pins on them. Yeah. Just something like that that we can put on our hat to let people know that we've been to a Unite round. There was those things that they missed. And I don't know whether it was, you know, because it was the late announcement, they didn't have time to put anything together, or whether it was just, you know, they were um, like just lazy and just thought, oh, there's no need to, you know, do merchandise, no one will want anything. So, you know, I, I don't really know which of those two it was. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, yeah, the half and half scarf, I'm not really into that myself. But the yeah. the whole point of it is, as you said, if there was a Unite Round scarf that had all of the team's logos on it, then that would be something that would have been sold across all grounds um, and, and a nice little keepsake for those that like to collect scarves. Yes. Yeah, of course. All right. So th that's um, obviously the Unite Round first one and I and I'd much rather that than having the cup finals in Sydney permanently uh, so yes of course yeah and yeah. that that was the the biggest issue and I know that you've got some avenues to get feedback through to the APL on that so I think that's um you know from what I've seen from you is um some good 
constructive feedback rather than, than you know, um, just criticism. Um, now, moving forward with the shed, um, obviously the shed has been since day one um, part of the draw card to a Perth Glory game. And even in the, the last few weeks when things aren't going so well, you're still in good voice. Um, so you must have a very good uh, core of guys there, at least on the right side anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, we've got uh, a real good uh, crew of guys and girls that turn up to the games and make noise. And look, we're starting to actually get people, a lot more people now at the women's game making noise. We've just started up um, an active supporter group yeah. for the women's games, which is called the Hill to Glory, which is a reference to the old um, Hill to Glory, which was at Perth Oval, the very yeah. first shed before it became the shed. I remember and, it well. Yeah, we've got, yeah um, so we got about... Uh, 10 or so people turning up at the women's game that are making noise, which is really good. Yeah, I look at it, and I think some of the, the entertainment, the songs in, in the shed are great, and look, I must admit, sung a few myself. Um, but some of them, the, the lyrics don't really translate well to the women's game. Uh, no. Um, so what we do, at, yeah, um, so what we have done is we actually have to change uh, the wording of a lot of the chants because... The women's games, you know, it's a lot more family-friendly. There's mums and dads, there's kids. So we've taken out the swearing of a lot of the chants and they work at the women's games and we actually find that the people on the hill there at Macedonia Park that sit next to us, they actually join in with what we're singing, which is great. You know, that's great. We want that. We want other people that aren't normally active supporters joining in with us to make noise for the women. Yeah, absolutely. And, and do you see that that non-swearing element switching back into the, the shed for the, the men's glory team, or do you think that's, that's just etched in stone now? Um, I don't think there's much crossover, to be honest. I yeah. think, you know, like we get the, um, like there's the core of the 10 people that are with what we are dubbing the Hill to Glory, and they are people that did, um, or, or they do the men's games, and they love women's football, so they've been going since the start. Yeah. And they've come and joined us on the hill this year for our games. But the families and that sort of thing, they tend to just sort of come to the women's games and they just sort of sit there on the hill and they join us mm. and join in with us. But I don't think there's much crossover no. with them. But my experience of the shed is if you've, you've got between six and ten people and you want to start a chant, you're on um, because that's all it really takes. And then everyone picks up on it and it just races off. Um there's always been that right side, left side uh, divide. Um, do you ever see a day when we get the entire shed just rocking? Um, yeah, um, the divide is still there at the men's games. Uh, there's absolutely no divide at the women's games, which is good. You know, like the people that yeah. turn up at the women's games are there to make noise. It's just more the men's games where we have that divide where the people on the left side just tend to want to stand there and watch the game. And it's the people on the right side that obviously want to make the noise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other question I, I have, and I've seen it quite asked quite a lot in, in local media um, circles, is everywhere else in the ground, you can apart from the, the top deck of the Southern Stand, um, everywhere else you can buy a drink and, and go and, and have your drink whilst you're playing. But the shed is the only area that's over 18. Now, they're not selling you full strength and there's nothing else going on in there that under-18s couldn't get involved in. So I'm just wondering why that, that's there. Do you have any in, insight into that? Um, look, um, I don't really... Look, I don't... Look, I 
I can only assume myself that it's to do with the police and, you know, the security and the fact that there's beer that gets thrown around. Um, I certainly feel that the shed should be open to all ages because we want people in there making noise. Yeah. And there's a really good crew of people that are in front of the shed, down the front there, um, like, you know, there's a whole bunch of teenage guys and they make a lot of noise and they would be really good to have in the shed. So certainly I think, you know, like it's something that I want to raise with the club to try and see if we can work something out. Because mm. as far as I'm aware, I don't think there's any age restrictions in the Cove or the Den or I'm like, you know, any of the other active areas yeah. in the A-League. So I wonder why there's, you know, an age restriction in the shed. And then if you look at a different sport, the Western Force who play at HBF Park as well, there's no age restrictions for the shed when they play games there. No, I agree, and that's that's part of the why I'm asking that question, and hopefully we have a look at it. But you know, um, active support has come under under some um, <clears throat> duress in the last couple of years, and obviously some of it's been a little overactive in the wrong direction in the chucking of flares and what have you. But the RIB and, and a few others have, have got into trouble with the A leagues, but it's it is part of the entertainment and i think you know we we go to these games and and it, it does make a massive difference whether the the shed is quiet or whether the shed is making a noise and and not just for the players but for for the spectator experience yeah um yeah uh, it's certainly the big selling point for the a league is the active support it's the noise it's the color it's the atmosphere and I think it's widely known that that was something that the FFA in the past have tried to crack down on. I think, you know, they were trying to make the game appeal to mainstream Australia and it just, you know, like it didn't work because all it did was it alienated all your football fans. The people that are there for the noise, the colour and the atmosphere, they didn't want to go because they felt like they were being targeted and, it, you know, like, as far as I am concerned, it, it wasn't a good look for the game. No. No, and these are the most enthusiastic and, you know, you say colourful people that are attending these games and, and then create that atmosphere. You know, we've, we've got a large number of people. Obviously, there's, there's a couple of them that love to get dressed up um, and, you know, very differently. The other things like the banana, blow up bananas and blow up sheep that get thrown around is another part of the game. And, you know, there's, there's lots of um, little things that go on, the cowbells, the bells drums, you know, it, it all brings that um, pageantry to the game and people look forward to it. You know, we, we're all looking to see who goes in there dressed, dressed to the nines and some people really are going over the top to get dressed to impress. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, certainly. There's a lot of people that like to dress to impress. Matthew Stacey yeah. is one of those people, although um, he's not in the shed, but no, uh, no he, he likes to get dressed up. He's very colourful. Yeah, absolutely is. And I think he likes to do the shed thing from the comfort of his own seat. But you've also um, got the, the Kiss guy. Um, there's been a number of others throughout the years that I can think of that have been in there. And the other thing I, I have noticed when I've been in the shed, we've we've had a couple of the opposition supporters wheedle their way in. And, you know, apart from some good rival, you know, good banter going on, there's, there's none of the stuff I used to see in the UK terraces. 
Yeah, um, I haven't really noticed too many uh, opposition supporters in the shed. Uh, I think... Oh, well, it's I'm, hard. It's harder now. You got to get a shed membership, obviously. But back in yeah. the day, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Look, I think it's just, it's just good that we have this, um, you know, this freedom in in this country to to mix and match with other people. I know that you get a bit of banter at the the start of the game, but on the way into the game and on the way out of the game, I've never seen any trouble. Uh, no, uh, no. Um, I didn't see any trouble last week at the Unite round. No. It was good to see. Absolutely no trouble. And I've got to say, the best uh, for me last weekend, the true highlight for me last weekend, and this encapsulated Unite round for me, on the Saturday you had the two men's games at Allianz. The first game, when the Mariners equalised against Melbourne Victory, you had the Cove had walked into their game. You had the Red Army there for the Adelaide game and you had the Yellow Army. When the Mariners scored, you had the Yellow Army go off, the Cove went off and the Adelaide supporters were all um, uh, going off and making gestures to the victory supporters by across. And it was brilliant to see just everyone unite against Melbourne victory. (laughs) And then in the second game, in the second game, every time that Adelaide scored against Sydney... You had the victory supporters that had stuck around. The Adelaide supporters had a few Mariners and Brisbane supporters come into their bay and they all united against Sydney FC and it was brilliant to see. Oh, absolutely. No, look, and that's all part of the, the thing. I, I say we'll be enemies for 90 minutes at uh, a time, but for the you know the rest of it, we're, we all unite against a common enemy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you've got your, your own tour of duty coming up. Uh, yes, we've got our uh, tour of duty coming up uh, in April. Uh, so we've closed for booking, yeah. and I'm really pleased. We've got about 60 people coming to Melbourne City in mm. April, which is good, because last year we had our 20th tour, and the committee was a bit worried that with it being the 20th, we thought we might get some of the older you know, people that had been doing the tours for 19, 20, 18 years or whatever we thought that a few of them might drop off and go, well, that's it, I've done 20, yeah. I've done 15, I don't need to do any more. But a lot of those people that come back, they're making up, um, you know, the 60-strong uh, contingent that we've got coming over from Perth. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the guys in Melbourne. So we've got people in Melbourne that are just taking the ground package because they don't need the hotel. They, you know, live in and around Melbourne. Yeah. So we'll have about probably 70, close to 70, over there, which would be really, really good. It'll be great support. Oh, great representation. And, um, you know, it's good to see that, you know, good or bad times, you're still there supporting the club. And, you know, the last home game, even though we, we end up losing that one um, very narrowly, that, you know, right up until the, well, even after the whistle's blown, you're still there making lots and lots of noise. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's absolutely great to see that there's still fantastic support for the club you know even you know through this tough time that the club is going through it you know uh it was it's really good to see and you know last weekend i absolutely shouted myself hoarse during the men's game and it was great to see you know like it wasn't just me there was about you know three or four others in the away bay last weekend and we just went for the 90 minutes just trying to you know bring the boys home yeah absolutely and that was evident on the tv but uh, i think you know we're 
to to really experience the the shed, you've got to, you've got to be in the ground. Um, and look, I, I sit in the in the lower end of the southern stand on, on most games now, um, but you know you you can certainly hear the the glory and there's there's a lot of the people around me start to join in with those things. The Viking clap particularly, but a lot of the other songs people do start singing them. So I think you know you you do have an effect on on the, the whole ground and the game in general. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, the shed absolutely has an effect on the entire ground. Um, I think, you know, as I said earlier, we noticed it at the women's games. You know, we've started chanting at the women's games and we can hear the crowd, you know, when we start up the glory chant with the clapping, the grandstand at Macedonia Park will join in with that. And it's really good to see that at both the men's and the women's games, the shed can start something and the rest of the ground will pick up on it and they will join in and try and make noise to bring our boys and girls home. Absolutely. Now, look, I think um, there needs to be a grown-up approach from the APL towards the active support. I think the active support also needs to be sensible in, in what they do as well. Obviously, some things are indefensible, and um, throwing flares onto the ground, for example, and, and flares in the stands are not something we need or want to see. But um, from what I've seen is that the, the glory shed does not get into to any controversy or trouble um you know and as i said some of the lyrics may be a little fruity but even then it's all part of the banter and i think you know the particularly when the goalkeeper's taking his kick there's no one in the ground who doesn't get involved in that one yeah um yeah uh, i think a lot of the problem is that uh, football fans all seem to get tarred with the same rush yep and you know look every single sport in the world you know not just in australia Every single sport has, you know, people that attend that are there to cause a little bit of trouble, you know, like, you know, maybe start a fight or something like that. Yeah. It doesn't mean that every single person in that, you know, active area or in the stadium is there for those reasons. You know, most of the people that attend an A-League game, they're there to make noise, you know, they're there to clap, to jump up and down, you know, get a bit rowdy in the active bay, but they're not there to cause any harm or do anything bad no absolutely and i think the other way the other thing is is how the media report it you know a couple of blokes get involved in a scuffle after a, a, a soccer game and that's front page news everywhere you get 30 or 40 people at a rugby game or an aussie rules game particularly teams like collingwood um and they, they, there's like an, two lines oh, i was a bit of a fight in collingwood game last night and they don't really amplify it so it's how the media cover it and politically how politicians and that approach it and look i was in uh, a young man in the 70s in in the uk when the football fan was demonized by margaret thatcher and you know that that was purely for political motive um and a lot of the time it wasn't you know as you say the hardcore fan is just there to to have a, a sing and a shout and then you've got other groups that you know are world famous for the, or infamous for what they did um, and a lot of those were just going up to these games for a fight, but that's all they were interested in. But the the, the politics of it was to demonise the game, and it cost football's reputation. Um, and still, that still resonates now. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Um, I would add to that as well that uh, I think in Australia, in particular, I think there's a lot of media outlets in Australia are looking after their own interests. And, you know, like you've got Channel 7, for instance, who broadcast the AFL. Yeah. You know, they're always going to want to pump up their product. 
So when there's something negative that happens, in, you know, in the A-League or the NRL, you know, they're going to want to, you know, try and turn around and paint it in a bad light mm. because it looks good for their product, which is the AFL. And I'm um, like, you know, I, I guess it'd be the same, I suppose, with Channel 9 in the NRL. If there's something bad that happens in the A-League or the AFL, you know, Channel 9 News is probably going to go, you know, fairly hard on the story because it's a chance to make their, um, you know, their product that they're paying for and they're investing in look good against something that they're not paying the money for. Yes, absolutely. Uh, look, I think it's just one of those things that we're, we're going to have to, to battle and, and turn around eventually because there's, there's a lot of people interested in our game. Look, David, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for what you do for the, the Perth Glory uh, Shed Supporters Club and what they in turn provide to the, the, the rich peasantry of our game. I think, you know, um, no matter what happens to the glory as far as their their on-field performances, um, the, the Shed in particular have been regarded as the best fans in the land, and long may that continue. Yeah, thanks, Sean. It was really great to join you guys this morning to have a chat about your night round and just talk about the Shed and active support in general. Yeah, look, there's a, there's a place for it, and I think you know one of the things that the Shed has done really well is to moderate some of the madness that gets around. You know, we've all been young, and, you know, being young and stupid goes hand in hand. But the, the shed and the active support around that has certainly um, managed to do it in a pro-social fashion, which I think is, is the balanced thing with a bit of humour and, you know, passion for the club. So, yeah, well done, guys. Yeah, yeah cheers, guys. And let's hope for a big crowd tonight at Macedonia Park to get behind our women. Yeah, absolutely. Well done. Okay, that was David Winkless of the the Glory, and yeah, look, he's he's right. Um, the women also need to be supported, and yeah. I think the the crowds at Macedonia have increased this year. Uh, and I think, look, for what the the Glory need for the women, Macedonia Park is almost perfect. Yeah, I think the only problem with with Macedonia, and in, in conversations I've had with Anthony Radich, is that whilst it may be great for the spect- spectators to be set right up there on the touchline. Um, it's lacking in a lot of the corporate elements that you need mm. to be a successful A-League club because you, you've got to have those corporate boxes and those corporate sponsorships and somewhere to hold chairman's lunches, etc. So, you know, there's there's a bit lacking in that ground. I saw something yesterday that the uh, Bresciano Consortium are looking at a, an area in Sterling that could be developed to a ground for the glory. Um, and I think, look... Having a training base, ideal. They should have a training base. And I don't know, and I probably don't think it should be the Sam Kerr Centre, but they should have something similar where they can train and, and, you know, base themselves rather than Fremantle Oval. Yeah, that doesn't look very good. I've been down to have a look. Yeah. It's just not suited to... No, it's not. But it was, you know, the best that was on offer at the time. And I think, you know... um, yeah, from a professional basis, most most teams have a training ground and then play at their home their home ground. And I think, yep. you know, lots of talk about where that should be. That lots of people love Sterling because, from a spectator's perspective, really close to the, the action and it's got a lot to to go for it. Um, but from a business perspective, it makes no sense. So I think there's there's issues there. But um, yeah, I think a training ground makes sense and and a proper administration base that's, you know, in one place. But, yeah, we'll see what happens.
All right, we'll go a break and we'll be back after this and we'll talk to TC about his trip to Singapore. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au Station sponsor. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Okay, we're back in the room now. TC, just before Christmas, um, as part of your Living the Dream program, Living Your Best Life. Always trading. Oh, mate, look, you, you love your football. You, you're a teacher in a school that's running a football program that you basically run, um, and you, you travel the world with that team. So um, tell me about the, the school and the the academy that you're running first? Yes, uh, it's actually 20 years. 20 years this year the academy's been running. Mm. Um, it's not as well known as uh, a couple of the others, but as I could confidently say is, is, is what an academy should be, I think we're probably one of the few that actually could call ourselves, whether it's a club or a school, Yeah, we are an actually academy for what we offer and what we do. Um, and um, yeah, I think we, we do quite well. You know, we've, um, we, 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 we have, uh, we've always had some good quality kids come through we've had we've had the uh, the diamonds come through that we just need a little bit of polish as we've talked about before about the yeah. really good ones you we, get the old johnny corness come through well, exactly right yeah. you know i didn't really have to do much with him really just as i said give him the opportunities the tyler gardeners um so we've had some real quality and we've had a few sort of the the rough diamonds that we need to sort of chip away cut away a little bit with and uh, yeah. and uh, produce them and uh, and i like to say we've we've had a few of the stones that we polish up you know, um, that have made the sort of the bedrock of the team. That uh, I know. To be fair, I quite enjoy that sort of that level a little bit. The uh, the, the diamonds are a little bit boring because they, you know they've already got the no challenge. Yeah, no challenger. Um, and I quite like that. We're sort of um, in the school system. We're probably in the top anywhere from the top four to top eight. Um, so, where where do the kids that go to your um, school academy come from? Are they like any other high school? They just come from the local community, or do people come in from outside for the program? Yeah, I'd say for the um, for the boys because we, so we've got boys and girls. So it's um, Anne Gurley runs our girls and does a fantastic job. Nick Williams was before her. She's um, obviously um, off doing her thing at yeah. AC Milan. She's actually at, uh, Oh, the London London oh, what, London ladies team, I think it is. The one of the original yeah. with the Doncaster Bells who yeah, did yeah. the league and then got, kind of got kicked out because they wanted to bring in the actual, you know, um, professional clubs into yeah. it. But she's she's there now trying to make that a big thing. So um, yeah, we have the boys and the girls. But I say for the boys, we're probably I would say seventy percent come from out of area, um, which is good. Probably initially when we started, it was a lot more in area probably about more like 80% were probably from the area. And then it's sort of, as the academy's grown and, and, and got out there a little bit, it, um, we're getting more from there. With the girls, um, it's just a numbers game with the girls, unfortunately. I think yeah. we had a really good run. We find that probably majority come from our local area. Um, one of our year groups um, have come from a little more thorny because, uh, you know, and coaches out there. So she actually, a lot of her yeah. girls came over from Gosnell's to play. Um, but um, yeah, our girls still sort of mainly come from our local area, um, and we kind of want to spread that a little bit. Again, it's a bit of a numbers game with with that, as we know. Sort of hopefully in the next 
couple of years, that'll, you know, with the legacy of the Matildas, yeah. hopefully that'll grow and get even bigger. Um, but we found with the girls, we actually had a really good run where we had a lady at Parkwood Primary School, which is our local, and, and her daughters were going there. She just boosted up. Yeah. And that's, I think I was saying to you, Dave, it's all about having people to do jobs, isn't it? Yeah. That's how things get going. Absolutely. Yeah. And she got... Um, uh, for about three years, three to four years, and so we had massive numbers and some decent, decent girls come through. Yeah. Um, but obviously, when her, her daughters left primary school and then she wasn't yeah. involved, it sort of dropped off a bit, unfortunately. But um, and we're trying to look at way to remedy that. One of the things we're looking at is is having a um, preseason comp for club teams. Yeah. And uh, for under twelves and so forth, and that we'll run for free. Yeah. You know, no, no entrance, anything like that, and just say, look, this is this because our, our aim is. To supplement the clubs, yes. clubs clubs can't do everything. So else. that was going to be my next question: How many of those players in your school team compete purely for the school team, and how many of them then compete or, or play for clubs? Oh, majority all play for clubs. Um, yeah. We do have a couple. Um, um, in fact, one of my uh, players, um, Ali Reza, uh, he's in year eleven this year. Yeah, he came. Um, he actually he came. He's a, he was an Afghani boy and um, just. Oh, some of them are so talented. Oh, yeah. Just, just the ball's glued to his foot. Yeah, and mm. too much sometimes. You know, it's like one thing we were talking about before about, you know, maybe, maybe you should pass at this point when the six mm. defenders now are trying to tackle you and there's, he's standing over there. <laughs> but every now and then you just get past the six defenders and score. Um, but he, um, he wasn't playing for anyone. He just played street football. And then I, I just said, look, I was coaching uh, my younger son's team, and yeah. um, and uh, he played for me for a couple of seasons under twelves, under thirteens, and now he's playing. He's playing at the glory now. Yeah, and um, and and yeah, he's he's developing on really really well. So we do get some of those players who, quite often, some of them from we we Linwood has had a massive refugee sort of. Um, oh look, absolutely, come I know, a lot of a lot of Afghani boys. I mean, we've not just that, but yeah. it's just sort of from from initially from the two thousands, we had a lot of Africans uh, come through, yeah. and um, I mean, we've got. I think one year we had 90 different nationalities at the school. Yeah. Um, and it's a proper United Nations, you know. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. It's, um, it, it really, it's the, the level of culture and... Um, but a lot of these kids that, that come from those nations, uh, you know, play with bare feet and they played with things that weren't perfectly round. And when they then come into an environment where they're wearing all the proper equipment with the perfectly round ball, uh, as you say, it's stuck to their feet and, you know... It's, it's teaching that periphery vision. So whilst you're you're doing your thing, you still need to know where everyone else is because at some point you're going to have to release that ball. So getting the head up awareness of what's going on around you is the, the transition for you. Oh, look, it's not just that. It's also the the, the character sometimes you get because some of these kids have had extraordinary lives. Oh. Um, I most remember one, Shakur, you know, I mean, he was telling me the story about, you know, literally his, his mom and him were, were being chased down. Um, getting to the refugee camp, he got shot actually, yeah. shot in the leg um, as a eight, ten year old or something like that. And then he was in refugee camps, and then he came out, and uh, he's a police officer now. Great yeah. lad, wonderful, wonderful bloke. Oh, look, I remember one of the boys at Ashfield who was again a refugee, and he was getting stuck into the dinner, and he seemed me enjoying that. He said, "I've been in places where I didn't know where my next meal was coming mm. from, so yeah. boss is here, I make good." And you know, started talking to him, and the experiences he had, no one at his age should have. Yeah. Um, you know, family slaughtered in front of him, mm. living in a refugee camp on his own, having to survive by his wits and guile and skill um, and literally competing for food. You know, it's just horrendous stories. But then they end up in your school program. <laughs> they yeah. do indeed. And, yeah. And it's great. Like I said, it's great. It's, I think it's it's the one thing 
I really enjoy. Like I said, when we, we've we've had some wonderful teams, not quite necessarily squads, and we've had some players that, as I said, that that challenge to build them up. They've had just they're good. They keep well, you know. I mean, Dave, you would have seen them at yeah. you know Melville. You know, the ones mm. that just keep fighting and fighting and fighting, mm. and and may not have the technical skills, and um, you know we've got that limit. And we what we always do is we 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 provide opportunities. We provide opportunities for them. The, the one thing I say to the students, so we have trials. We have, we'll have three yeah. or four trials this year and um, for the boys and the girls. And, and then we have this, this parents' night and we talk to them and tell them. And, and one of the things I say straight off is I'm not, we, you, if you're coming here to be a professional soccer player, then there's no point. I'm not, I can't make you a professional soccer player. There's only one person in WA right now and that's Stadge, you know, at the glory. He's the only one who can say, give you a game and pay you and, you Yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah. And so I say it's about... Number one, I'm here to make you the best person and, 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 and use football as a means to help you do that because it's yeah. something that you love doing and, for you, and to try and make you the best player that you can be. Yeah. Not comparing you to you know, the Johnny Cornessas, Tyler Garners, yeah. you know, but what, what the best, the best that you can be. And yeah, absolutely. Can you, can you do something that they can't on the field? Yeah. And, and to do that through everything, you know, you know from the five-a-side, uh, the futsal, sorry, um, the outdoor, you know, the the coaching, uh, referee courses that we do, the trips away, the camps that we do, um, but also the carnivals we run. I mean, yeah. we, we with only only there's only one primary school special needs carnival soccer that's mm. run in, in the whole state, and we run it. Um, my wife is, um, in, you know, sort of involved in that side of things, and um, and we um, and that's something that we run, and it's 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 amazing. We get kids with with wheelchairs and you know walk, walkers because yeah. you know they they got physical and they got the mental um um issue, issues and the, the whole range yeah. and to see them playing football oh absolutely and, and yeah. some of them for the first time ever and mm. and our kids it's it, it's it's it almost brings a TDI when you you mm. see them step out of their comfort zone yeah. and you know the, these kids are grabbing by the hands and you know and 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 these kids are looking up to them you know more than any any yeah. other any other thing, and and to provide this opportunity because it, it must be very rewarding, though. Oh, it's it's brilliant. Yeah. It's it's wonderful. And but both my boys have come to the academy, and, and they've you know been involved in doing this type of stuff. And so just to for the, you know from as a parent yeah. have this exposure and 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 just to to give them that sense of you know other people suffer a lot worse. And, yeah, and you that, you but, may have first world problems, but here's a real problem. There's, there's, there's yeah, someone who's really battling. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and it's I mean, there's one one um, I think he had he had, he had a little little kid came up I think he was a little Down syndrome kid but he'd never ever ever played in any sporting mm. team ever in his life I think it was in year five or year six and he never played not just even football anything you know um, and he's from a, uh, a fairly deprived uh, social low, low economic area and he said it, it was the best day of his life yeah just, yeah just playing and and. So getting for, a little medal at the end. Yeah, with, with the, the coaching. same thing as, as pulling on the shirt as well yeah. for the first time mm. and actually walking out in an organised game. Mm. It's just, just magical, you know? Yeah, oh, it, absolutely. It, it, it's li- yeah, it just, it, for them never to have this exposure mm. and then to do it. And it's, it's these yeah. things that we do, so it's not just about... So the is there such a thing as too much football? You'll have kids that are involved in no. your school programme. No, they'd that's be the answer. In, they'd no. be involved. <laughs> yeah, but they'd be involved in maybe... No. Um, a club, 
They might be involved in the state side. They may mm. be involved in um, futsal, uh, yeah, glory or futsal. Um, so th- there's a lot of competing demands on their time yeah. and and playing time, but also from a coaching perspective, do they come back and say, "You yeah, look, I'm I'm in the the glory program as well," and my coach there says, "I'm not listening to you." <laughs> uh, yeah. And <laughs> to all those, yeah. um, no, no, there is there is too much football. One of the things we we do, we um, we we they have a booklet and it's a diary. So it's a, it's a game diary. So mm. it, it's basically they write down, you know, what they have for breakfast, how they're feeling, you know, what yeah. they did the night before, and it allows them to to sort of track how they're playing and that their performances. How do they rate themselves? So, and one of those things also is we have a um, we do like a little twenty thirty meter sprint. Um, yeah, and and to see if if their numbers are dropping as the weeks go on, yeah. and also a you know uh, like a, a, a little chart to sort of indicate mm. um, uh, um, if they're getting overloaded and where they feel if they're feeling tired and that type okay. of stuff, and so they can keep track of it. Yeah. Now, how many of them actually do it properly? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it's all about. But I suppose that ties into another thing, and obviously very multicultural. You said ninety different nationalities, but also I imagine a whole range of faiths. Where, how do things like Ramadan affect the yeah. performance of a, a a kid in school and playing? I just I always look at when when's Ramadan going to be, and I just hope it's one of those where it's not during the season because <laughs> yeah. it does. I mean these, but again these a lot of these kids, some of them do use it as uh, well. Yeah, I suppose as an excuse not mm. to not to participate. Some like they do step. their best, but you can see there's a downturn in their performance, and and that comes down to sort of you know that management. And one of the things we said, as long as you're honest with us, our, our view is um, you're expected to train. But if you're struggling for injury, or whatever mm. like that, as long as you're honest with me, you know. But particularly in Ramadan, nil by mouth, including water. So mm. when you're training and training at an elite level, um, obviously you're going to get dehydrated, and mm. it's yeah, you know, it's one of those things that. Um, yeah, you don't want to put the health of a child at risk either. No, no, it's exactly yeah. right. And I think it's, but it's, it's like I said, just the same with Ramadan as well. And mm. also, as as you said, with the futsal, the state teams. Yeah. And it's, 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 what we're trying to do is make them sort of in charge of themselves. Yeah. And it comes back to what you said about it's not a football program. It's, it's a holistic person, yeah. whole person program. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, and giving them the tools. Yeah. So if they do make a professional, then they go, oh, yeah, men, you yeah. know, because we talk about nutrition, we talk Absolute. about um, uh, mental health, we talk about goal setting, um, you know, six pillars. Kenny Lowe wants to think about the six pillars uh, from a... Oh, God, I wish so I dragging you back to where we, we were primarily going to talk about was the trip to Singapore. So what was the <laughs> yeah. trip to Singapore? So it was brilliant. We, we finally, we've done it every two years, and obviously covid Stop. Wiped it out. So yep. like 2018 was the last time it went, and so we finally got got, got going again. And brilliant! It's, it's it's such a good trip. We we don't go to the um, Singer Cup because um, no. it's not what we want. So our view is because Singer Cup's quite intense, very it's two, intense, two or three yeah. games, and 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 it's sort of it's 100 percent about the football. We want to we do make it about the football. Like we'll have um, we I do like 20 minute sessions and uh, lessons about what mm. they should be eating and then what they should be drinking. Um, and then we do like a acclimatization program which is I think I was talking to you before. Yeah. You know, they have to wear jackets out. Yeah. You know, um, and if they're not, you know, so we do some little sprints and then we play games and the less that you wear, the more sprints and r- runs you have to do. So yeah, yeah. really so just to get that real feel of sweat, that that draining sense um, and making sure they've always got water with them. So we, we, we do all those things, but it was um, what we want is our focus to be the football, 
but also when the football's over, that enjoyment of Singapore, that cultural side of it. Mm. And building relationships with the yeah. other teams and, yeah. And we, we had, um, so we played a little mini competition over there. Um, and so we, had, we took two girls teams to, so we had about 50 students going. Excellent. Um, which was really, really yeah. good. Never had two girls teams before, which was Brilliant. good. They had a little bit of up and down because they were playing a little bit more in the afternoon and the weather yeah. just came in. It was just one of those where it just was, yeah. So then fortunately, it was, they were a little bit disjointed. Um uh, for the boys, from our perspective, myself and Al, Alan Gallich, who's sort of my um, offside, he does a lot of work with me with the with the teams as well. He was there, he was doing the junior team. And um, and it was great. We were together all the time um, and we had the little mini comp. We won that. Um, seniors won it fairly comfortably. The juniors drew the first game. So the last game, there was it was a shootout because the other two teams were a bit weak. So we I think we were three goals ahead. And then we we managed to score so four goals, but the other team was playing at the same pitch, and it was like it was four one, four two, four three. Then we scored five three. Then they scored five four. Then we scored six. You know, so yeah. I was watching that game and this game, and I think we won by two goals in the end. So it was really little, you know, but it was really good for the kids because you could see them, and they were trying to watch. What's the score? I said, just get on with it, get it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just play your game, and um, and you could yeah. see just trying to break this team because then the other team was just halt, and it was just. Great, and then we played our last game, and that was um, a bit more feisty. That was a bit more of a really competitive team, um, and uh, but we were, came away undefeated. undefeated and seniors only conceded one goal. Um, we had, but the boys are brilliant. Like they manage yeah. themselves, no problems whatsoever. Um, you know, we had great uh, trip. You know, we did we did the off the off off this off the football stuff, but made sure again no soft drinks. Make sure you're eating right. And they did all that. And the other thing, I suppose, another important thing is those energy drinks because they also, um, when you think they're going to give you energy, they actually create some issues for you. Drink about um, it, yeah. And I know with our 18s, we had a boy one day over at Canning who collapsed on the field and for all intents and purposes looked like and, and reacted like a cardiac arrest and we had him taken in an ambulance and he'd, he'd swallowed a couple of these power drinks before the game, mm. hot day, thinking it was going to give him the edge and it did quite the opposite. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. And, then, and we, we literally say, like, if we fight, see you with a can of coke in your hand or, or, or the power drinks, yeah. you know, that's it. You're, you're on the bench. But you know? vodka. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, 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 just, that just gets you going, you know. That's yeah, it, yeah. You know. Um, a little heart starter, yeah. But no, it, was, no. it was really good. They, yeah. It's a really good opportunity for them to... Sh- and we say, look, it's all about trust. If, if we can trust you or you're very good at hiding stuff, hide, hiding when you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. So you've got to learn two skills, you know, Trust. Trust one or the other, isn't it? Trust. Yeah. I'll be very, very good at hiding the. Yeah. You know, you know. Yeah. If you're if you're sneaking cans up to the room, if we, you know, yeah. make sure you're very, very good at hiding because I'm very, very good at finding out. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. But, but again, out. it's about teaching personal responsibility, and I think you know, quite often people insulate their children from making mistakes. It's about giving them the trust and respect to make a mistake. And then when they do, it's how you respond oh. to that because it's not the end of the world, but it's about, you know, the breach of trust and, and what that then brings to them and not just to themselves, but to the rest of the group. Mm. Absolutely. Like I yeah. said, trust was a huge thing and, and they were brilliant. And the juniors sometimes struggle with that, but again, they were brilliant. And, and it was, part of it was just the students we had were just, I knew going in there that we, we've got a great group here, mm. and, and and you know you got some seniors in the in the senior team that would look after the younger players, and then you got some really mature ones in the junior team that would the the younger ones as well. So yeah. that was really really good. And but you're right because because um, we do have parents come across, and yeah. I said to the parents, look, yeah, we want you supporting the games, but that's it. 
you know, you know, okay, sometimes they take them out for a dinner, and that's great, that's all right, because, you know, they want to experience a little Absolutely, bit. Absolutely, well. yes. But this is their trip. But my wife came over, because um, both my sons were, were playing, and yeah. she came over for four days or so, and with the second day, she's, like, gone around and getting their underwear and their shorts and, and, and put, taking it in a wash, and I'm like, no, 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 you're not. You're not. Um, I didn't win the argument in the end. Yeah. And then I find out she's got like six, six of the, six of the playing team washing their, washing their clothes. Uh, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? You know, they've got to learn. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't win that one. Yeah. No, no, I look good on you. And, and you know, thanks for giving us an insight into the school program and what mm. it does. Because I think sometimes, you know, a school program is just playing, but it's not. It's, no, it's, it's much more about the game. Believe me, I've, I've put thousands of hours into this, <laughs> developing this thing. So it's All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this morning, TC. And Dave, I know we've had some, some trials and tribulations, yes, but um, I think we've even impressed ourselves with our ability to talk <laughs> rubbish for an inordinate amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you did a good job, Sean. Well Mate, done. Well done. No, that was in, good. In the in the face of adversity, you know, if you want to make a diamond, put it put coal under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, thank you for bearing with us and out there for listening with us and the changes we've had to make. As I said earlier on, this is live radio, um, and things happen. We just got to get across. It's like a game, you know. Lose your star player in the first minute, and adapt. you've just got to adapt. So we did that very well, gentlemen. Thank you out there for listening. Lenny's back on with the jazz show after our outro, and we'll be be back in one way or another next week with Penny I think thank you for listening thanks so. join us again next week at the same time for the world football program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM